Hello Sonoma, welcome back. My guest today is Karina Garcia. She is a local Sonoman representing her community at the county government as the community liaison for District Supervisor Susan Gore. I can't wait to get started. Hello Sonoma, welcome back. I'm here with my guest Karina Garcia. Karina, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Francisco. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. The pleasure's mine. I'm happy to have you on the program. You're a local Sonoman with roots in Mexico and a strong desire to help the community. You've worked in TV on TV Azteca, and now you're District Supervisor Susan Gordon's field representative, which means we see your face and name in meetings and announcements throughout the valley. For those who don't know, can you tell us about your current role and who you hope it serves? Thank you, Francisco. Yes, so I'm a field representative to Supervisor Susan Gorin in the first district. Um, if you're not familiar with the way our county split up, the first district is south of Santa Rosa, I guess, uh, Rincon Valley area, and all the way south, Oakmont, Glen Ellen, Kenwood, and then of course, all of Sonoma Valley down south to where uh, Sears Raceway is on 37. And we split up the district amongst uh, my colleagues and I, Ariel Kubu Jones, district director, and Hannah Whitman, also field representative. So Ariel takes the uh, Santa Rosa side and Hannah staffs more of the Kenwood, Glen Ellen, and my territory is basically all of Sonoma Valley, which I love because I grew up in the Springs. And uh, I think the bulk of the time spent throughout the day is with concerns and needs in the springs. And I feel like this is the best way I can give back to the community that I grew up in by supporting our, you know, our needs, our community needs. And especially being bilingual, I feel like I could serve our community better because I understand what it's like to, you know, be a monolingual Spanish speaker, be a bilingual speaker. We have, you know, to a certain extent, different needs because there might be family traditions or family needs that are not necessarily what the, you know, uh, general public expects you to have. So that's how I feel I can give back to the community, Francisco. Good. So you've said about your job that it's offering a direct bridge between the supervisor's office and her constituents. And I'm curious if you could tell us about your journey to this position from your previous job. Thank you for asking. You know, I've been very fortunate and I don't want to speak too soon because, you know, then things get spoiled. But I've been very fortunate to sort of have these opportunities present themselves and you know, it's one of those things where you have to be at the right place at the right time. Totally. I was in transition from my previous career. I have a degree in business administration with a concentration in marketing, and I have a minor in psychology as well. And I worked at a Spanish television station in the Bay Area for over a decade. Um, I worked for a, for a Spanish television station in the Bay Area for over a decade. And I found myself in a time in my life where I kind of wanted to slow down a little bit, come back to Sonoma and be close to home, be near my family, watching the nieces and nephews grow up. And it was very timely. Supervisor Gorin was looking for a part-time staff member and uh, my name came up. I give credit to one of my best friends and very active community member, uh, Mari Carmen Reyes, who mm -hmm. threw my name in the hat and I interviewed, went through the process and, you know, shortly after got the, uh, got the notification and, and, and I, I'm just thrilled. It, it was a challenge for me coming from the entertainment sector per se, where I'm used to attending events where it's all about having fun and, you know, enjoying yourself and community events and, concerts and whatnot and now we're dealing with real life issues things that really impact our community but I found that even in my previous job I always leaned towards or gravitated towards community events and I always got my hand slapped by my general manager he was like you're giving them too many PSAs I'm like but it's a great community event so that fits in perfectly because right now I feel like I'm putting though those skills to good work, helping promote community meetings, public meetings like the Spring Smack, 
any events that are coming up that benefit our community. So, yeah. Absolutely. That's so great. And you've said of your role that you really enjoy knowing you're a part of change for someone, that you've made a difference in someone's life. Not to put you too much in the spot, but what are some stories that you remember from the people that you know you've impacted? You know, I feel like it goes full circle. I'll, I'll share something with you. When my family and I first came to the U.S. and landed in Sonoma, of all the beautiful places in the U.S. where you can live, yeah. we grew up here in the wine country. <laughs> Many of our constituents and, and members of the community who reside and have lived here for many years, they will be familiar with uh, Ligia Booker. Um, she's, mm-hmm. you know, one of the founders of La Luz Center. And I remember meeting, you know, Senora Booker when I was six years old. And she came to our house and held my mom's hand and said, we're going to help enroll your daughters into school and drove us to Flory and introduced us to the school and, you know, the school system. And from there on, we always had her to support our family with many needs. You know, we had a language barrier. We had a culture barrier. There were so many things that were new to us and, and as children you don't understand and you know your parents are living under this fear of you know we don't belong here but we're trying to make a better life for our family and that really stuck with me and i feel i could never replicate what you know a senora booker did for our family but i think i can help those in need whether it's connecting them to one of the many county departments and and explaining to them the different services that these county departments offer or sending the agenda to a meeting, um, literally looking up a phone number and providing it, even if they don't live in our district. Sometimes that happens where Mm -hmm. a constituent is more comfortable with you and they'll call your office because they met you at some kind of event. And you know, you continue to tell them, well, you actually live in District 3, <laughs> but, you know, here's the number. Yeah. I think those are the things that make a difference. And, and I mean, I have many, many stories of constituents that have reached out to our office that now know I'm here and they remember me from my pre- previous career. They're like, hey, I used to watch you on TV, but now I see you, you know, on Zoom facilitating these meetings and... I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here to learn. I'm here to get information. So I think that's the best way I can help our community. And you do an amazing job. And I think it's so unique and exciting to have someone so local be representing the community on a county level. But that means sometimes you have to deal with everything from, as you mentioned, phone numbers or running efficient Zoom meetings or responding to public comments about plants on the sidewalk that need trimming. What has your role in public service taught you about the public that you serve? Gosh, Francisco, uh, I, I, it's one of those things like you take, you take it for granted, right? Like I yeah. said, I grew up in the Springs. I grew up in the Valley. I didn't realize where I lived. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't until I'm an adult and after I've graduated college that I realized I live in Sonoma Valley. I live in the wine country. And I think that when you work in public service, you definitely see your community through a different lens. You know, there are so many, I learn something new every day on this job from, you know, whether it's a county road or a private road, you know, sidewalks, whose responsibility is it to maintain it? Parcels and permits and what kind of permits you need for what kind of event or a uh, building of your own home, a structure, you know, everything. There, it's just vast information that I wish I could tell everybody, you know what I learned today? So I think it was a shock for me too, like I said, coming from the entertainment sector into the public sector. And also because I used to have this creative freedom to do create these packages for these big businesses because you're always trying to, you know, market a product or a service. And there are so many procedures when you work in public service, right? right. And you have to understand them. So it was, it's like a new language for me. I had to learn all these procedures and these policies and protocols. And then I have to be able to explain them to our community in a language and in a format that they can understand, right? So I think when you understand that, it makes a big difference when you're dealing with constituents. And I can imagine that working within a government position, 
that has a lot of bureaucracy can be somewhat frustrating, but what are some of the challenges and benefits of working within that system? Yeah, you said it perfectly. I find myself, I'm a very caring person. Sometimes someone reaches out and they're like, I need X, Y, Z. I'm like, perfect, here you go. And then I always <laughs> have to check in with, you know, uh, the team and, and, and they're like, no, th that's not how it works. I'm like, but there's a need and there's a solution. They're like, that's not necessarily how it works. So without going into too much detail, absolutely. I think that when you have to follow a certain protocol and procedure and there's the pyramid of reach out to this person to get to this person to get to the other person and the government moves very slow. We all know that. And I think for me, that's frustrating because I'm a person who likes to see things get done. And when it's not going to a pace that I'm used to, it can be, you know, it can be frustrating. It, it's challenging. So you kind of have to take a step back and, and just, practice your patience and then express that to your constituent who is angry about something or is in need of something and you can't just hand it off. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful that you take those breaths and stay patient sometimes. But uh, throughout all of that, you've done some incredible work and been very innovative and thought of new suggestions and ideas for communicating with your constituents in your community. One of those innovative and essential moves was to create the charlas comunitarias or community chats, monthly conversations to bridge the knowledge and generation gaps in our valley by bringing information to our Spanish-speaking community. How did these come about? Thank you, Francisco. Um, COVID came and surprised all of us. We were not prepared to deal with a global pandemic. And, you know, I was a new employee when I came on board, I was hired a few days shy of going into shelter in place. So I struggled navigating the system myself. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed that the county was, you know, making every effort to keep our constituents up to date and connected and providing resources and updates and whatnot. But it was always in English. And sometimes there was Spanish interpretation, but if you're not tech savvy and you're having to listen to an update on your computer or your mobile device and you're already struggling to even send a text message or pick up a call. And I always think of my mom, right? Mm -hmm. Can my yeah. mom connect to a Zoom call? Can she pay attention? Can she hear a webinar? And if you were lucky enough to connect, the announcement was made in the first 30 seconds that there was Spanish interpretation and you missed it, right? And then the entire meeting was in a language that you were not familiar with or you did not understand. And so out of that, I proposed to Supervisor Gorin. So out of that, I proposed to Supervisor Gorin to allow me to have these charla comunitarias where the information would be provided all in Spanish. No, in, you know, no interpretation required, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all in Spanish. I'm very fortunate that I have connections to the entertainment world through my past life at Azteca, the TV station I used to work with. And so I recruited Juan Barragan, who is, you know, renowned TV news uh, reporter and TV host. He is an amazing person, very humble, very knowledgeable, but knows how to connect with the community. I mean, he's got a great smile and, and charm and personality. You can give him a topic and he can go on and on and on about it. And it's it's great information, right? So he joined Charla and he's my co-host. Every month we're there navigating through different topics because we've slowly moved away from COVID. It, you know, mm -hmm. obviously we touched on vaccines mm -hmm. and, and testing and quarantine versus isolation and the symptoms. How do you know if it's the flu or is it COVID? you know, financial assistance, legal assistance, all these different things that came with COVID, right? That we were not expecting to. But we've slowly worked our way to other topics such as mental health, pesticide awareness, the dangers of smoke inhalation and smoke in exposure, a lot of topics that our community is concerned with. And these topics came out of these conversations that we were having with, you know, during the charla. So that's how it came about. And again, it, it was only intended to keep our community informed and it's, it's become very popular. I'm very fortunate to, to hear, you know, positive um, feedback. Because it's a virtual platform on Zoom broadcasted on Facebook, 
if you have a Facebook account and you, you know, happen to connect to Charla or you're friends with someone who's sharing Charla while it's going on live, you can watch us anywhere in the world, essentially. Right. So we do get a lot of people who call in from, you know, all over the Bay Area, even places like Mexico. We had someone chatting in once from Colombia. They're like, well, I'm in Colombia, but I still want to know what's the difference between isolation and quarantine. And it was it was impressive to see, you know, the magnitude of this this uh, platform and how people were looking to Charla Comunitaria to get their information and their updates. It's pretty special to have created something like that and to see the impact so clearly among the people that you serve. Besides those that contacted you, the Ecology Center and the local fire department were among the public institutions that praised you for this work. And besides your role there on the county, you also serve on the Springs Municipal Advisory Council, or the MAC, the purpose of which is to provide a space for community voices, as well as to advise Supervisor Gorin on local matters of concern to the community. How important do you think this group is to voicing community concerns? Thank you, Francisco. Yeah, so I, I, I staff the Springs MAC, um, and they meet monthly the second Wednesday at 630, currently via Zoom. And I'm pretty sure in 2023, we will be returning to in-person meetings. I think it's important that I'm part of, I staff, you know, this MAC because like you said it in in their mission statement, they're the bridge between the community and Supervisor Gorin. And believe me, the community comes to those meetings and they express their their opinions, they express their concerns, they express their needs. You know, it's taken a while to to take off and especially with COVID, you know, I feel like 2020, everything just kind of stopped. And in 2021, we were trying, but we were still kind of slow. But this year, especially, I think that the Spring Smack is finally understanding their role, which is to look around their community, talk to the constituents, talk to the residents in the Springs area. And the Spring Smack boundary includes Agua Caliente, Federos Hot Springs, Boys Hot Springs, El Barano. So you know, listen to them and see what it is that they want. What do they want to see in their community? What are the needs that they have? What are the concerns? What are their hopes? And what are the things that are working great for them, right? And one of the things that they're doing is they're involving themselves in community projects, such as the winter, uh, spring's winter celebration that's coming up on December 18th from 2 to 4 p.m., It's a two-hour community event with the opportunity to meet Santa Claus, take a picture with him, have some hot chocolate, cookies. There's going to be giveaways. There's going to be music. It's going to be fun. Please come out and participate and join and, and, you know, share some joy during this season. I think we could all use a smile and a hug. Um, So they partnered with Sonoma Immigrant Services, the Fairmont Mission Inn, and Sonoma Valley Fire to put this fabulous event together. And I think it's going to be amazing, and I I anticipate it's going to be an annual event. We're going to have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back on Hello, Sonoma. Hello, Sonoma. Welcome back. We're still talking with Karina Garcia. I got to say, I'm so impressed with with your ability to juggle so many balls and, and share so many ideas about community events, community issues, and different things like that. I I think it's pretty impressive. And throughout your career, communication has been an important part of it. For 10 years, as you mentioned, you worked at a Bay Area TV station called Azteca America. And though you worked in advertising and sales, I'm sure that you learned a lot about the Bay Area and the people who watched the program. What drew you to the station in the first place? What drew me to the station was, A, the need to, you know, have a job. I was freshly (laughs) graduated from college, and of course, you need a job, right? But imagine working for a a TV network that you were watching. So Azteca was fairly new. Univision is like the big gorilla of the, the media world, followed by Telemundo, easily by two decades on Azteca. So it was like... It was the new kid on the block, right? And I liked their programming. It was educational. It was entertaining. It was different. It steered away from the traditional, like, telenovela where, you know, poor girl meets rich guy, Cinderella story kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And, you know, it it was different. They had La Academia. They launched La Academia. So if if you're familiar with, like, Big Brother 
and uh, American Idol. You know, it was like a mesh of those where they had, you know, aspiring singers audition and they, they live together in this house 24-7. Every Sunday there's a live concert. People vote and, of course, you vote for your favorite till the end, right? And I liked it. It was entertaining. It was something that I had in the background while I was reading all my marketing books and whatnot. So imagine there's an opportunity for me to work there. Of course, I took the opportunity. You know, and during that lifetime or during that tenure, I, you know, worked in sales. I ran the promotions department. I did a lot of administrative work too, like understanding what traffic is. So in the media world, traffic is not your on 101 South, you know, <laughs> there's a car accident. Traffic in the media world is keeping track of your contracts that are coming in, right? So you close a deal and then you send your contract to the traffic department and they schedule how many commercials during prime time, how many commercials are rotating over 24 hours. So it was extremely useful for me because when I was presenting my media packages to the client, I knew exactly what I could and could not offer. And I knew where there was flexibility and wiggle room. And driving around the Bay Area, um, because we covered the nine counties of the Bay Area, I got to see the different community members, right? Like the differences, it's Bay Area, right? And a lot of people mesh it all together. But People in, in Sonoma County are different from people in the South Bay and in the city. You know, even for me, obviously it was a Spanish TV network, so I, I had to be familiar with what the Spanish speaking audience was into. And, you know, the Latinos from San Francisco don't necessarily watch the same thing that Latinos in Sonoma County watch, or the Latinos in Redwood City. Redwood City is like little Aguililla, Michoacan. There's a huge population of uh, Michoacanos in, in Redwood City. There's a huge Guatemalan community in San Rafael, right? And then you have like Sonoma County that has a lot of people from Oaxaca and Yucatan and Jalisco. So it was very interesting to understand that. And even though, you know, many of these community members come from a country like Mexico, there's different regions in Mexico and you can't just mesh everyone together because what might work for one family doesn't work for another. It's like, I can go on. I let me know if I need to stop at any point. <laughs> no, you're doing great. It's like melding Alabama and Florida and New York and Arizona all in one, one little area that you get to drive around and, and communicate with. Did, did, that experience changed the way that you see television and public communication? Absolutely. You know, there's there's so many secrets to to TV, you know, just <laughs> in general, in terms of commercials. Like when I see a commercial break, I know who paid the most and who paid the least. And oh, cool. I also know in what commercial break you want to be in. And, you know, the lower thirds that are running across your TV screen and all those billboards and L you know, boards and whatnot. So a lot of time I can't enjoy it because like I, I know how to edit. So even a movie, I'll sit there and I'm like editing mistake. <laughs> You know, the hair wasn't the same. It was a different yeah. angle. You know, they, they didn't button the shirt. And then the previous scene, it was buttoned. You know, those little things. It kind of ruins the, the movie, you know, TV magic for you. But overall, it, it gave me a big understanding of how powerful a screen is and that platform is and, and our responsibility as communicators to our audience. And I take that to heart. I really do. My... My philosophy is if I'm on the other side, what do I want to see? What do I want to hear? How do I want someone communicating to me? I don't want someone talking down to me. I don't want someone, you know, arrogant. I also don't want someone who doesn't care about how they're providing this information. Are they even entertaining? I'm not talking about a comedian giving information. I'm just talking about like, are they, are they taking this serious? Right. And I think that that applies highly in this job because I have to be able to communicate the information to our community members, whether I'm helping facilitate the Springs Mac or, you know, Charla Comunitaria or one of Supervisor Gorin's many meetings where, you know, we're juggling so many meetings for her. And at one point I need to help her, you know, guide this meeting in the direction that it needs to go. 
And it's important because you also have to understand your audience. I'm going to speak differently to our constituents than I do to a community organization and than I do to, you know, the supervisors or any of my colleagues. Not that you're hiding information. It's just you use different words, different language, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important. You have to understand that you become a chameleon in this job. I bet you learned a lot driving all around the Bay Area, talking to people from different countries and communities. I did. And I also have a passion for traveling. So, <laughs> and I, I learned so much with every trip that I try to apply that here. You know, I always take the positive. I think no matter what, life's not perfect. So you might have a, you know, bad experience somewhere, but I always like try to erase that and just <laughs> bring the positive. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Like the last time I went to my mom's hometown, they have this little beat up Toyota Dakota, right? And it's driving through the cobblestone, you know, streets in her hometown and they have a megaphone and it's announcing the gas prices. It's announcing the meat prices. It's also announcing who's coming for the winter concert. And um, it's announcing, you know, who's running for uh, mayor. It's doing all that. And, and no matter what, you hear the beep in the morning, it wakes you up at seven in the morning and then it comes back around two o'clock and then again at five o'clock because they take that afternoon siesta, right? And it's, it's hard to avoid no matter what. Like they go around three times a day and at one point or another, you heard it or someone in your family heard it or, you know, mm -hmm. one of your friends heard it. And it's sort of like free advertising for everyone. Obviously, I'm sure there's somehow they pay and then they manage it, but it's someone talking into a megaphone and they go around. So forget about printing flyers. You know, you're saving trees and you, you hear it right and then if you have a question you know how to follow up so anyway i've suggested that so many times here That'd at the great. county and they kind of all look at me like what is she talking about what's <laughs> gonna drive around in a megaphone through the streets of the springs i'm like i'll do it yeah let's do give it give me a truck give me a megaphone i'll do it <laughs> let's do it so uh, Azteca America is a Spanish language channel, and you've said that you feel it's important to be a link as you are with the Spanish-speaking community because it's where you grew up. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about where you grew up. I grew up in the heart of the Springs, um, in Boys Hot Springs, for those who have you know, grown up here. I grew up in the apartment complex right next door to what is now El Molino. And back, back in the day, it used to be a laundromat, and for a period, it was the Barking Dog Cafe, and it now has been, you know, the home of El Molino. So, you know, since the age of six, that was my little neighborhood, and the uh, parking lot next to it was our backyard. Mm -hmm. uh, I come from a big family, so lots of cousins and siblings and aunts and uncles always gathering for the holidays, always trying to find, you know, a place to gather. And no matter what, we get loud, like, because there's so many of us, so you're trying to communicate, you're trying to say, hey, tío, hey, primo, you know? So that's why we get a little loud. Um, but it's fun. You know, I, I, I love coming from a big family. I think it can be challenging with so many personalities, but at the end of the day, you, you're never alone, right? And if we can share a little bit of, of that with the rest of the community, you know, you don't need to be blood-related to be part of a family. And so... Having grown up in the Springs and, you know, I, I can remember walking because for the longest time we, you know, we only had one car and dad took it to work and the rest of us had to walk to Flowery Elementary School or Altamira eventually. And then once we got to high school, we figured transportation and or we would take the uh, city bus or school bus or whatever, you know, we needed to do to, to get to where we needed to get. But I can remember looking at you know, the city, the plaza, and just be mesmerized and wonder, well, what about here? Why don't we have something like that? You know, Larson Park was, again, a, a, another option as a backyard for us. We'd walk, you know, through the back roads to Larson Park and hang out there and then walk back home. Altamiro, same thing. You know, we found places to to hang out as a family and enjoy our afternoons and evenings, especially in hot summer days. It used to be much better better weather back then, I feel. So it was a lot of fun. It, it was fun. I think when you're a child, you're naive to so many things. So again, now that I work for the county and I reflect, I'm like, hmm, 
we were a family in need. We absolutely were. were. And, you know, there were people like, you know, Ligia Booker who were there to lend a hand. But there were so many things that I wish my family knew then. Like, we could reach out to the county for some services. And there were organizations that could have helped. And maybe they weren't. Maybe they came after. But we didn't know that. And so I feel like it's my responsibility to teach that to our new generations and help those families that aren't aware of all these services that are available to them. Just pick up a phone or send us an email and and we can connect you. That's amazing. And one of the ways I think this impacts you is just in the little things, in little connections between your childhood and and what you do now. Can you tell us about being young and crossing the street? (laughs) Yeah. it, it was pretty scary. I think back, and, and and it's not to shame my parents and my family in any way. These are conversations that we have with, you know, my, my siblings and cousins and whatnot. Times were different. And we were in a foreign country and learning a new language and trying to get accustomed to this culture when you're still trying to understand yours. Because, you know, I was six years old when I came to Sonoma. And, you know, we had the liquor store right across the street. We weren't buying liquor. Don't worry. I wasn't buying liquor as a (laughs) six-year-old. But, you know, we would frequently need to cross the street to get milk, to get eggs, to get tortillas, whatever we ran out of. And, you know, it it was like, okay, she'd mom point at one of us and we'd take turns, right? Crossing the street to get the essentials to feed our tummies or walking down to the post office. I loved going to the post office. We'd go the back way and cross the street and pick up the mail and then walk home. And it was this whole adventure. But when you think back, you know, crossing the street from six to, you know, 19 years old, obviously I got older, I got wiser and, you know, was more careful. But, you know, those young years when you're crossing the street and, and you fear for your life, every time it was like, am I going to make it back home? Because <laughs> yeah, it's Highway 12. It's, um, it's three lanes, but it's still Highway 12. And there weren't any sidewalks then, were there? That was pre-sidewalk times? Uh, correct. There were not. Yeah. So we, we, we were out there surviving. <laughs> you were. You were. So about that, you mentioned you came to the United States when you were six years old from Jalisco, Mexico. Both your parents were agricultural workers, and you had some experiences with them since you were little, going out and helping them pick grapes and helping pay for all your school supplies you were always helping and being active in their lives just as they were trying to be with you. Besides the valuable lesson of working hard and helping each other, what were some of the lessons that your parents taught you? I think one of the biggest things is that you never leave your family behind, which, you know, in in an Americanized culture, we're, we're taught to be independent, right? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be able to live on your own, survive on your own. And you know, with, with my family and especially in, in the Latino culture, you're taught that you're family, you're together forever, right? Sometimes yeah. there's some family members that you wish were not your family members. Yes. But overall, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. Overall, you, you know, you're there for family. Um, I was recently having a conversation with one of my family members who became a parent and and they're struggling, right? They're working, their partner's working, they have a toddler and it's hard to juggle all these things. And then they looked to me and said, you know, your sisters are really fortunate to have you and your family always one way or another, like you always have a sister or a brother to call or now like the kids are getting older and now like my 18 year old niece can babysit as well. Right. And you always have a backup, right? You always have someone to help you out. It could even be like, I don't own a truck. So if I ever need to move something heavy, I need to call my dad. I need to call my brother or my sister and have and borrow their trucks, right? But I know I have it. I'm not going to go buy a truck for myself when I, you know, I only need it once every, what, two decades? But <laughs> I think that, that <laughs> that's one of the biggest uh, lessons is that, you know, you don't leave your family behind. And obviously work ethics were very important. You know, my mom always said, if, if you are, if you arrive 15 minutes before your arrival time, you're late. And, you know, it always resonated with me and things have, you know, changed and times have changed. Now we're like 30 <laughs> seconds before a Zoom meeting, we're trying to connect. 
but overall, I think that, you know, it, it's important to keep family unity, no matter where you are and how far you've gone. I can tell you even to this day when I travel, you know, outside the country, it's not that I need my parents' permission, but sort of their blessing. And I, I, you know, I grew up Catholic, but I'm not necessarily a devoted Catholic. And I, you know, you don't necessarily see me at church and whatnot, but just their blessing as a parent. So I'll call them, I'll reach out to them. I, I make, you know, I make my way to them and, and have them say, hey, you know, have a safe, you know, trip and come back home. We'll be waiting for you. That's really special. I'm glad you touched on that because sometimes our culture the greater culture in popular, I don't even know how to describe it, communications. It's all about independence. Like you got to be independent. You got to go and you got to leave and you got to do this. And it's good to have those reminders from our Latino families of like, actually, family is an important part of going forward. Sometimes it's important to come back. Mm-hmm. And with that note, we're going to have to take another quick break. We'll be right back on Hello Sonoma. Hello, Sonoma. Welcome back to our interview with Karina Garcia. So you talked about what your parents taught you, which I think is great. And in terms of formal education, as you mentioned, you went to Sonoma State. You studied business administration with a concentration in marketing and a minor in psychology. And you were the first in your mom's large extended family to get a degree. Being the first, did that affect at all the way that you approached college or life afterwards? You know, I think it definitely, it was mixed emotions. On the one hand, obviously that sense of pride and feeling achieved, you know, or accomplished from this great achievement. On the other hand, it, because you're exposed to a different life, you know, not necessarily a better life, just a different life, because there are people who don't have higher level education and they're extremely smart. I mean... I remember at a very young age, I was 19 and I had a boyfriend who was 23 at the time. He was a business owner and a homeowner at 23. And, you know, to me, it's all about how you, how you approach your goals. Right. But when I received this degree and with time, you know, I, I was, drawn more to people with education, people with degrees, people in in different paths. Yeah. And, you know, at one point my family had to remind me like you're acting like you're better than all of us. You know, we understand you have a degree, but you know, yes, we chose not to go or our parents didn't have that opportunity. And you know, so I had to be mindful and again, that that really humbled me. Because I had to be aware that having a higher level education doesn't make you better than everybody else. Mm-mm. It provides different tools, but it's our responsibility to teach the rest of the world or the rest of our family or the people around us like, okay, I know this information, I can give it to you, and then you decide what you do with that information and how you provide that information too. So I think that there was a time where it was challenging for me because I wanted everyone to know what I knew, what I learned in my psychology classes, what I learned in my business classes. I wanted to share all that information and I wanted to use that terminology and, and, you know, they were taking offense in it and it wasn't intentional on either part, but I had to be reminded. So for a while I had to take a step back and, and reevaluate the way I was approaching my family and, and friends. And I think that, if I can serve as an example or, you know, a footsteps to follow, I'm more than happy to do that, especially with such a big family. But I also have to understand that going to college or a university is not for everyone. And that doesn't make you less smart. It just makes you human and you choose your own path. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you said that because you're absolutely right. It's just a different set of tools for a different job in the physical world carpenters have tools metal workers have tools and you wouldn't use one for the other so it's all about just what you want to do but mm-hmm. in either case you paid forward this education is that right what i am involved with is um through on the margins they have a program called dale let me see if i can remember the acronym acronyms stand for um dale is stands for development 
advocacy, leadership, and engagement. And I'm one of their mentors for this program. It's on the margins. And it's a group of high school students who are looking to become leaders in their community and work on projects that will benefit youth and work on projects that address, excuse me, address some of their concerns and needs. So we meet once a month and as a big group, and then we meet once a month with our small groups. And again, we're, we're trying to provide tools for them. We're trying to be examples for them. We're trying to answer questions for them to learn leadership and learn advocacy and learn how to engage with their own community and make a difference. So thinking about your future education, you've said that you want to get your master's in psychology. Is that true still? That has always been on the back burner and like slowly moving its way to the front burner, I guess. <laughs> yes, I, I feel like more, more than ever, we need people in you know, mental health programs and organizations and leadership. And I do feel not to brag about myself, but I think as a bilingual individual, I could serve our community more. Right. And I, I, I definitely want to pursue, you know, a, a higher level of, of education and obtaining my master's would be another goal achieved. And I don't discard that possibility life happens and you know we get caught up in the day-to-day -day and our jobs and and all that but i hope that uh maybe next time i chat with you francisco i, I can give you the good news i've either started amazing. or i'm on the way or <laughs> something that would be fantastic i love the way that you're already so thinking so deeply about how to serve your community and you're thinking about the future about how you can see serve even deeper and reach those gaps that you've noticed through your time that other people might not be able to or don't have the same experience that you do. Maite Ituri, who's the chair of the Springs Municipal Advisory Council, the MAC, among other things, said about you that you would go to the ends of the earth to help your community. You're relatively rare as a young person, bilingual, who works long, dedicated hours to serve your community. Where does your drive come from? Well, first of all, I'm flattered. Thank you, Maite, for those lovely words. Um, I think it comes from my my experience as an immigrant, you know, in this country. And again, as I shared earlier, looking back and knowing that, knowing now that there are services, that there are programs that our family could have benefit from, benefited from, but we were unaware that we could. And that just sticks with me and I don't want families to struggle. I don't want to see our community members have to go through frustrating, stressful situations if there's a way to help them. And it can be mm -hmm. very small. It can be just by giving them the flyers to, you know, the food bank. It can be a phone call where I just listen to them because they want to vent, you know, about their neighbor who has a loud dog. It can be anything, but as long as I am giving back in one way or another, right? I mean, listening to someone, is, 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 it seems like no big deal, but to the other person, it can make a difference. You're so right. It, you never know the difference that you're making until it happens. So I want to switch gears for a second into something else, which you mentioned that you also love traveling, and we focused a lot on community and local issues, ideas, and initiatives, but you have had some pretty exciting travels in Costa Rica and the Amazon. Can you? What do you remember about those adventures? Oh, Francisco, I remember everything, and I want to be there right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of my dreams was to visit the Brazilian Amazon, and you know, people who know me were like, they would tell me I was crazy because my biggest animal fear is snakes. Who lives in the Amazon? Anacondas. And where was I going? The Amazon, of course, because why not? Thankfully, I didn't run into any. And I'm back and I survived. Uh, <laughs> I was attacked by monkeys. I was attacked by monkeys. And now I can laugh about it. In the moment, it was pretty scary. Nothing too extreme, but still. But uh, what I can, rem what I remember and I can share with you and your audience, Francisco, is 
the sense of feeling a part of feeling part of nature, feeling part of this world. The, you know, the Amazonians live in such a different pace, I guess, and mentality and appreciation for what is around them. And I can tell you that when I came back from that trip after being away for almost almost a month, it was three weeks and a few days, everyone around me said, what happened to you? You're a completely <laughs> different person. You're shining, you're bright, you're happy. We know you're under stress because we're, you know, we're, we're putting together this big audition for, I was working at Azteca at that time. And they're like, nothing bothers you. I'm like, it just really grounded me, you know, being around so many trees and so many type of flora and fauna and all these nature sounds. Have you ever heard spiders make a sound? I heard it. And it's just something that you, you don't get here where you live. Right. And then when you encounter people that just share their life story, everyone has a life story. And for the longest time, I'll be very honest with you, for the longest time, I didn't think that I had an interesting story. You know, I would encounter people and, you know, they ask the question, so what, what, you know, who are you and what's your background? What's your story? And they'd have a story and I didn't have a story. For the longest time, I felt like I didn't have a story. And, you know, these trips remind me that I do have a story and it's in the process. Every year, something gets added to my story. And I had to feel proud of who I'd become and who I've been. And it it was just pretty amazing. And that's where I feel very fortunate that the opportunities that I had as an immigrant, as a child of immigrant parents, working in agriculture and really embracing and understanding everything and and where you come from and and feeling proud of yourself and your family and everything you've done. So with these trips, with every trip and everywhere I go, I just, I'm so grateful for what I have because when I come home, I have a roof over my head and warmth and my birds welcome me with cheerful chirps and it's just amazing. Yeah, that sounds pretty incredible. I've always also wanted to go to the Amazon just because it's it's kind of a symbol, a world symbol of nature and of the earth. You know, when you think about what we have as a collective collective species. So I, I'll be excited to dive into more of your adventures out there. I think there's three weeks worth of stories to share, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Absolutely. Happy to share them, you know, for, for another for another interview. <laughs> there we go. I just want to say one thing, which is that your teacher, Mr. Tonnery, it says, was uh, inspired your dream to travel. How did he do that? Thank you for bringing up Mr. Tonnery. He has passed away recently, mm. so may he rest in peace. But I, it could be at that age, you know, when you're in fifth grade, I think you reach an, a level of, you know, cognitive development where you understand the world. And it could be that. Or I I still credit him, his passion for teaching and his humility. He, every month, maybe even twice a month, he would have a special guest in our classroom who was usually someone who had traveled somewhere around the world, Africa, wow. Australia, you name it, we had, we had a guest. And it just opened the door to my curiosity and I, and I remember saying, I want to be that person. I want to be the one going back to a classroom and sharing with all these kids my adventures. So one day, I hope that a teacher invites me to talk about my Amazon story when I got attacked by monkeys. <laughs> Not to scare anyone or discourage <laughs> anyone from ever traveling or going to the Amazon because it was sort of my fault and I'll, I'll share the story another time. But, you know, the other thing he would do is, you know, obviously you read and and he would read books to us. And I felt like in every book, there was a story, there was a place that you could travel. And it just motivated me. And I always, you know, thought every time I traveled, one of the things he used to do with his fifth grade class when they graduated high school is he would take this trip to Russia. And... You know, unfortunately, by the time I was a senior in high school, the trip didn't take place anymore. But 
I just thought it was amazing and incredible that he had this passion for traveling and experiencing new cultures and new foods and overall people. And that just, you know, I carry that with me and I, I always think of him in every new place that I, I get to step foot. That's so special. And like we mentioned earlier, you never know who you're going to inspire and how you're going to inspire them. And I think that just by sharing your story, Karina, which is very interesting, you're inspiring a lot of a lot of people in the community and beyond. So thanks so much for sharing and thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Francisco. I appreciate what you're doing as well. And, you know, if, if my story can inspire one person, I, I'm, you know, beyond happy. Well, you've inspired me. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful, Karina. Do you think there's anything else that you wanted to touch on before we wrap things up? I think what I what I want to tell our community is to please get engaged, you know, get involved. You don't, you know, you don't feel like you make a difference, but you really do, you know, as public servants, we want to hear from the community. There there are obviously folks who are always engaged and you're always going to see the same, you know, usual suspects as we call them um, at the meetings, which is wonderful but we want to see new faces. You'd be surprised um, what can come of it. I remember when I first started, I heard from a constituent who was complaining about the West Thompson um, left turn signal, or it was not there at that time. And, you know, we reached out to Caltrans, worked with TPW, and, you know, a few weeks later, there it was. So you never know what you can do by just speaking up or coming forward with, what it is you're concerned about. It might just be a question and just get engaged. Participate. I love that message. Yeah, get engaged, people. And if you want to learn more, you can learn by going to the county website, Sonoma County or Sonoma City, and find out more. So thank you so much, Karina. You're very welcome. I'm happy to provide my email address and my office number as well. Um, sure. My email is, um, yeah. Uh, so it's my first name, Karina, K-A-R-I-N-A dot Garcia, G-A-R-C-I-A at Sonoma-County.org. And my direct line at the office is 707-565-1776. Well, you're going to get all kinds of calls now, Karina. Hopefully good ones. <laughs> Only the good ones, please. Just kidding. Only the good ones. <laughs> Thank you again, Karina, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with us about your story and your inspirations throughout the years. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. And know that though we've reached the end of this episode, remember, it's not goodbye, it's Hello Sonoma.